0: couple questions before we get to our scripture reading this morning. Uh, does anybody know what Thursday was of last week? Ascension, yes. ascension Day. Yes, that's right. Um, so how many days after the resurrection does the ascension happen? Forty days. And uh, what happens ten days after Christ's ascension? Pentecost, hence the 50, right? So 50 days after Easter, the, the giving, the sending of the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to be uh, thinking about and um, considering this morning is the ascension of Jesus. It is in many ways the culmination of everything that Christ has done is now gathered up and lifted up into heaven. It is his enthronement as Lord and God over all things. Um, It is the gathering up of all that he has accomplished through his incarnation and life and death and resurrection. It is a gathering up of that into heaven. And then, of course, the sending of the Spirit happens uh, after this so that we can all be joined to his life and be part of his uh, person and so that our humanity is now has a place within the person of God, within the unity of the triune God. Um, So there's a natural way in which Which glory is gathered up and celebrated in the ascension. And so, with that in mind, um, I wanted to read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis. So, right here at the beginning, kind of thinking caps, think think about this with me. C.S. Lewis says this I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses, but completes. The enjoyment, it is its appropriate consummation. It is not out of compliment that uh, a husband and wife who love each other keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. Uh, The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have a new author, uh, have discovered a new author, and not to be able to tell anyone how good the author is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To, tell, uh, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. You see what he's saying? There's, there's a sense in which we love to praise what we enjoy because it doesn't just express our enjoyment, it completes our enjoyment. So... Uh, When I was thinking about this, it reminded me of, of my grandpa, my mom's dad, who, upon eating a bowl of ice cream, would declare that it was the best bowl of ice cream that he had ever had in his life until the next evening arrived, and he would say, this is the best ice cream I've ever had. He only matched that with his love of the next cup of coffee. Uh, or the next experience or the next visit that we made it was always the best and so it was not just an expression of enjoyment it was its completion Um, could you imagine if I had gotten home after two weeks away in Pittsburgh and then Lily and Anna and Spencer and Leslie came to meet me in the yard and give hugs that I just sort of hung back and didn't express a thing Versus what actually happened. I gathered them all up in my arms and gave kisses and hugs and everybody was screaming and dad was screaming louder than anyone else. Uh, It is not just the expression of our enjoyment. It is its completion, its consummation, the whole thing gathered up. And so with that in mind, I want you to think about how we give glory and praise to God when you come on a Sunday morning to praise God, you're not only saying and expressing your enjoyment of God, the highest of all things that you could possibly enjoy, it's actually its completion. What if you never said a good thing about God your whole life? Do you see the difference? It's not just an expression of how good and beautiful and true you understand God to be in Christ, but it's the completion of that. And your participation actually in it. And so I want you to hear, because this theme of glory is going to run throughout, and praise that comes along with it. I want you to be thinking about that as we come to our scripture reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Of course, Jesus, after His resurrection, has appeared for 40 days to His disciples. He's gathered them back to Jerusalem, and then He leads them out on the Mount, to the Mount of Olives, Tells them about the sending of the Spirit. Listen carefully and well, for this too is the word of the Lord. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So again, Christ is taken up into glory. Christ gathers up um, all of his earthly ministry, all that he's accomplished, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it is from this place that he now rules all creation. And he promises to send his spirit uh, to the disciples so that it may be his witnesses, so that all may be gathered in to his kingdom, which is just a way of saying, the domain where the king's rule is carried out and observed. And so that's us. That has come down to us. So that we participate in the kingdom, but are also called to bear witness to it. Jesus is gathered up in glory. I want us to think for just a moment how his ascension gathers up everything that he has accomplished and done for us. And I want you to see how, how at each moment of his earthly life, little bits of glory begin to appear. We get a flash of it here, a flash of it there, and now the full thing revealed at the ascension. So where do we begin? Where do we begin with the story of Christ's life among us on earth? Yes, his birth. That's right. Yes, thank you. So it is birth. Here's the incarnation. Here's Advent, right? The announcement, the, the, the beginning of our church year, the, the announcement that Jesus um, uh, is coming to live among us. And what happens out in that field near Bethlehem where the shepherds are out keeping watch over their flocks by night? What happens as they sit there on just what they think is another ordinary night until who appears? The angel appears to them and announces to them, glad tidings of great news unto you that is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then with this angel there... Uh, appears a multitude of the heavenly host singing proclaiming and singing what glory glory to God in the highest on earth peace goodwill toward men at the very beginning it's hard to see the glory revealed in this babe in the manger necessarily but we're given a glimpse of the true glory that is happening even the angelic hosts cry glory at Jesus' incarnation, at His birth. Given just a glimpse. But then His life unfolds and He grows and He appears in the temple and then He gets a bit older and He goes out into the wilderness where John the Baptist is calling people to be baptized, to repent, and to turn from their sin and to turn to God. And Jesus joins us in that baptism. He enters in and joins his life to ours in that place. And, and so what happens there? He goes beneath the water, raised up, and then what parts? The heavens part. And the voice of the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son, through whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and then immediately drives him into the wilderness. For how many days? Forty days. We just came through Lent, right? Forty days where he is fasting, he's praying, he's tempted, but he doesn't give in to the devil's temptations. Instead, he lives faithfully and well in our place now because he's gone into that baptism and united himself to us. He lives faithfully. And at the end of the 40 days, after the devil runs away, Matthew's Gospel says, and angels appeared and were ministering to him. Again, the angels appeared. The glory of this moment is revealed in a way that maybe we would not have seen. Glory. The glory of Christ at His birth, the heavens open, the angelic hosts sing. Glory as the angels again descend and join Him after His temptation is over and He has emerged victorious. Glory throughout His earthly ministry as He heals. As he blesses, as he teaches, as he loves, as he opens up what the kingdom of God is like, what his reign is actually going to be, until they come to that pivotal moment where Peter, James, and John are invited up the mountain that we now call the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember this accounting? Just came back from an Eastern Christian cohort where they focus on the transfiguration. Uh, in much the same way that we might tend to focus on the cross. So much of what it means to be drawn into Christ emerges in this account and in this telling. So Peter, James, and John go up. It is the festival of booths. Now what this festival remembered was the time centuries past when the people of Israel... They were not yet the people of Israel. They were the Hebrews. God had drawn them out. It's the, what the name Moses means. They had, God had drawn them out of slavery in Egypt, passed through the sea, and they were, God was leading them through the wilderness. And what was the sign of His presence? A pillar of fire and a cloud which offered them shade by day and warmth and light at night, it was called the Shekinah of God. And that word, when you translate it, means glory. The glory of God led the people through the wilderness, the sign of His divine presence with them, and at the festival of booths, which they celebrated every year, all the people would come to Jerusalem, and they would camp out. They would live in tents, for the week, remembering that time when God led them through the wilderness and they also lived in tents. And, and Christ himself, or God himself um, took up residence in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting within which was the Holy of Holies. And the Shekinah of God would enter in and take up residence in the tabernacle when they needed to stop. And when it was time to continue, they, the the glory of God would lead them forward, and they would break down camp and head off into the distance. They remembered God's glory among them, uh, and they remembered their time and great dependence upon Him. It's sort of like looking back at a time in your life, which you know, where you maybe didn't have a lot of extra means, maybe times were kind of tough, and yet. There was something so good about that time because maybe you had to trust God more or maybe the most important things of life were actually more apparent because you didn't have as much materially. They remember this moment and Jesus leads Peter leads Peter, James and John up the mountain during the festival of booths. And suddenly they see Christ transfigured before them. His face shines with light, his clothes are white, whiter than snow wider than anything earthly could bleach them. He shines with the radiance and the uh, the divinity and the glory of God. They see the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, hey, should we make some booths? Should we set up camp and hang out here for a while? Here's the glory of God. Let us... I mean, it makes sense if you know the story. If you know what they're celebrating this time of year and what they're coming out of, it makes sense. And yet, Jesus says no to this. And instead, a, well, a cloud descends upon them. Not separate from them. Not in front of them. Not in the tabernacle or the tent. It surrounds them. Meaning that they're to become the tent. They're to become the dwelling place of the glory of God. They discover it here. It is a pinnacle up on top of the mountain. A pinnacle of Christ's ministry and revelation among us. Glory at His birth. Glory in the wilderness as angels cared for Him. Glory throughout His teaching and His healing ministry. Glory on top of the mountain. Now in a new way. In a way that gathers up all of the images and symbols and story and history of God's presence with Israel to this point. Jesus is the place where this is revealed. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of the transfiguration, but John doesn't include it. He actually includes some references to it oblique references but he doesn't tell the actual story and that is because in John's gospel he is concerned with us discovering the glory of Jesus Christ on the cross this is the place where Jesus is lifted up this is the the cross so strangely is the place where the glory of God is most clearly seen and revealed we know that he wants to talk about the glory of uh, God from the very beginning because we learned that um, uh, the Word took on flesh, this is John chapter 1, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the, the glory from the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He begins the gospel with glory, and it is revealed in its mo- uh, utmost clarity, As Jesus ascends the cross, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent on the staff in the wilderness, and all those who had been bitten by the serpent were healed when they looked upon it, so now Jesus is lifted up, and all who gaze upon him and see the glory of God here revealed also receive healing. He's buried. You don't necessarily think of a tomb as being a place where much glory will be revealed. We've just come through Easter and discovered that the stones roll back. Christ is triumphant. His glory over sin and death, His victory over these things is revealed in the empty tomb. But do you remember where the angels take up residence? when the disciples come to see the tomb and they look inside, there's one angel sitting where? At his head. There's another angel sitting where? In the place where his feet would have been. Where he was lying. Back to the tabernacle. Back to the temple. To the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God, the Shekinah, the glory of God, the the glorious cloud that revealed His presence with them, went to be seated on the throne that is the Ark of the Covenant. And on either side of the Ark of the Covenant, there were cherubim, an angel at His feet, an angel at His head, but no idol like the other nations. And now you look in the tomb. It's like the Holy of Holies. Because here the cherubim, where Christ would have been, but Christ has been raised up. He's victorious even over death. Even in the midst of death, His glory can be revealed. And so He appears to the disciples for 40 days. Then He gathers them up and brings them to Jerusalem and they go up to the Mount of Olives and He tells them that the Spirit is going to be given to them. He tells them that they're going to be his witnesses of his of the good news of all that he has done accomplished of God's love and forgiveness and of the kingdom where God now is coming to reign. They are going to be the witnesses for this. And then Jesus is taken up. And he disappears behind a what? A cloud. He's taken up into glory. The glory of God among us. Now, the passage sort of comes in two parts. And we've sort of done the first part. We're looking at the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And we're going back through how his life reveals that and gives us glimpses of it. And then a fullness and the the picture comes together. And then it's consummated here in his ascension and in his uh, enthronement. But you remember there were two guys who popped by, white robes. Said to the disciples, why do you sit here, stand here, staring up into heaven? Uh, This same one, this Jesus who has disappeared in this way, who has ascended in this way, will come back in the same way in which he departed. He's coming again. The implication is, what are you doing just kind of standing here? Now, a lot of sermons can jump immediately. Jump immediately to, so don't just stand around, but... Go do something. Go help. Go serve. Go share God's love. Go bear witness in a particular way. And that's important. It it actually gathers up. The anthem sort of gathered up some of those themes and our participation in Five Cents a Meal gathers that up. That's, That's a huge part of sharing in the kingdom and being a part of it. But the text actually makes us slow down just a little. Because when we look and see what the disciples do, they go back to the upper room. You remember this room. It's the room where Christ served them what? The Last Supper and instituted communion. It is the place where after Christ's crucifixion, the disciples went to hide and locked the doors for fear of those who they thought would persecute them or kill them in the same way that they killed Jesus. It's the same place where Jesus passes through those locked doors and shows up in their midst and says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it, do I give, but my peace, my peace is now yours. It's the place where he comes and he lets Thomas touch his side and his hands. It's the place where now they return and they begin to pray and they begin to worship and they begin to praise. At this point, there were a number of different groups. There was the immediate group of the 12 apostles, but other disciples who've been following are now kind of gathering, coming in towards this place, 120 roughly. It's about how many folks are at Newland Presbyterian, if you want to imagine what that might be like. Come together they begin to praise and worship. In a way, they are preparing themselves for the gift of the Spirit. And so yes, I I would love for all of us to go out and to work and to serve and to bless in the name of Jesus and share his love. But I don't want us to skip this part. This part where we praise, where we see what God has done for us and where we enjoy it and where our joy can be complete when we're gathered into worship and we announce to God our thanksgiving for that and the wonder of it and the beauty and the goodness and the truth that we find in it. Indeed, God's glory is manifested here. Indeed, One of the psalmists says that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of His people. You see the connection. The ascension of Jesus has happened objectively in the world. It's something that has already occurred. We can't force it or change it or do anything about it. Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He will come again. but This has objectively happened. But now we get to be the recipients of that as we ask Christ to come and to be enthroned upon our hearts. That's what the disciples were doing. They went to do that work of enthroning Jesus upon their hearts. That's what we do as we are gathered together. It's not just a single uh, uh, individual kind of activity. It's a corporate one. But if we want to know how to do that, the pattern that Jesus has showed us through his life is a way in. So here it is very quickly. I'm going to invite you to take 10 minutes today. Can you take 10 minutes, hopefully ideally, to be in a place where you can be quiet and still, and and focus, to reflect on his incarnation. That Christ wants to also be born in you he's come among us that he's taken on our frail flesh that he's joined us in our corruptibility and our despair he comes to be with us what can we say but glory to god in the highest i want you to think about his baptism and yours how you've been joined to him how you've died and been raised back up and how now you are called to go into the world in a way in which you are being tempted but through jesus can be victorious and so part of the enthronement of Jesus on our hearts is that nothing else would be sitting on the throne. And there's the struggle with sin. In Jesus we're victorious. I want you to look and to recognize that the significance of what Paul says in his letter when he writes that we have seen the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So meditate on the transfiguration. See God's glory there in that place as the law and the prophets and Moses and Elijah are brought together in the church as it's represented by Peter, James, and John. This pinnacle at this high point. I want you to notice how His glory leads Him then towards Jerusalem. He sets His face towards the Jerusalem. The face that, in which the glory of God is revealed towards the cross. And He goes there. And I want you to think about the difference between those two things. The glory that we see in this divine light and the glory that we see in His death with the crown of thorns jammed on and blood run down. Here's God's love for you. This is the extent to which God will go so that you might know that there's nowhere in your life that he won't go so that you would know his rescuing love. Look in the tomb. See that it has been transfigured from death into life, the place where the glory of God is revealed between the cherubim. See Jesus in his appearances. Post Easter, see Jesus as he's drawn up into the cloud. Of glory. And recognize that that cloud of glory. Jesus wants to reside in you. It's the gift of Pentecost. It's the gift which we look towards even next Sunday. We might need a little preparation for that. So let's do it. Let's prepare. Let's look up and give glory. And let's ask that glory to enter in as well.